Prince Andrei was on the road from Brun to Krems in quite the rush to meet with Kutuzov in his personal mission to save the army. He was traveling in a southerly direction and somewhat west, about 92 miles on today's roadways. Back then, it would have been much harder. At that time of year, and with the weather they were experiencing, where it was rainy and the roads were full of mud, Andrei secured a horse for the journey along with a Cossack attendant. And this small illusion is Tolstoy once again likely referencing ethnic Ukrainians. Andrei was mostly traveling with contingents of the Russian army as they marched with haste to reinforce Kutuzov. It was considered a retreat. The dirt roads were overflowing with horses, carriages, and carts. It was a very slow go where Andre was among hungry and exhausted men. In this relatively slow-going part of the book, we get a hint of the disorganization that was generally plaguing the Russian forces. This gave Andre occasion to reflect on some of Napoleon's historic words. As for that Russian army, which English gold has brought from all ends of the universe, we shall see if it meets the same fate as the Austrian army at Ulm. Remember what the coalition or the allies were risking. The English were funding a great deal of the effort, but they weren't committing troops. The Tsar was risking a great deal of lives, but they weren't fighting over territory. And from our vantage point, it's very difficult to wrap our heads around what allies Austria and Russia once were. There has to be something to that former relationship, which had tens of thousands of men march west over 700 miles and then all around the Holy Roman Empire, sometimes marching 20 to 30 miles a day from sunrise to sundown. And for a moment, let's look at what the Austrians were risking. It was lives, land, and the preservation of a near thousand-year-old system of government that has faded in our collective memories into history. Back to the story. As André traveled, he imagined being in the type of fight that would be his Toulon. He's putting himself on the trajectory of someone who unexpectedly rose like Napoleon. It was during the siege of Toulon in 1793 that Napoleon really made a name for himself. At the time, he was a 24-year-old artillery officer during the French Revolution. He was with the revolutionary government, while English and Spain supported the royalists, or monarchy, who controlled half the French navy and the important port city of Toulon. One of the commanders of the siege was seriously wounded, and Napoleon made the most of the opportunity he was provided to lead the assault on Toulon. It involved intense bombardment of the port and this rush of soldiers. Napoleon was in the mix and took a bayonet in the thigh. His wound was so serious an amputation was considered. So near the end of André's roughly 100-mile voyage, the situation is still a mess. All around him is soldiers covered in mud, commanders yelling, whips cracking, carriages being dragged and on the side are dead horses and broken wagons. Amidst the chaos, André comes to an unusual scene. 
there's a drunk officer who's driving a carriage and he's whipping the driver of another carriage who apparently cut the line. The drunkard yells something to the effect of, Turn back with your slut! This brigand is referring to a woman pleading for help while her husband, who's a physician, is being assaulted. Now, the Russian army did have a reputation at the time of allowing some wives to travel with officers, though it was technically against the rules. So the woman is appealing for someone with some type of authority and sets her eyes on Andre, and he bears a few insults, but he uses tact and his position to defuse the situation and soon reaches the village Kutuzov is located. As Andre looked around, searching for a familiar face, Nesvitsky spotted him. Nesvitsky's countenance revealed the dreadful situation Kutuzov's army found themselves in. Instead of his usual jovialness, he wore an expression of alarm and agitation. Knowing where Andre came from, Nesvitsky asked what Andre might know about peace and capitulation. And it dawned on Nesvitsky how there was a time where he couldn't help but laugh at General Mack's predicament. But now he finds himself in one that's just as dire. Nesvitsky also noticed something very telling about Andre. He was shivering, wincing, wheezing. He was not the most durable type like Captain Denisov or many of the hussars or Cossacks who were used to the elements. He had lived a privileged life, and now he's being tested. Andre finally arrives to the house where Kutuzov is located. He's there with Prince Bagration, as well as the Austrian commander who took over for the now-deceased Schmidt. Kutuzov appears, but he's so occupied he doesn't even notice Andre. All of his attention and energy is directed towards Piotr Bagration, he fears that he's sending Bagration to his death. Kutuzov tells Bagration, Well, goodbye, prince. Christ be with you. My blessing with you on your great endeavor. The stoic general is presented as softening here, showing genuine empathy and shedding tears. He draws Bagration close to him with his left arm and makes the sign of the cross with his right. Tolstoy is presenting Kutuzov as someone who honors God in critical moments which is likely the major reason his depiction of Kutuzov is the one that captured the hearts and interests of many future generations in a way historical depictions cannot do. And contrast this as you go through the book as his rather dry depictions of Napoleon, where that great general mainly relied on his own cunning and will. Napoleon generally believed in himself rather than something higher. After the farewell, Kutuzov finally noticed Andre and told Andre to accompany him for a carriage ride. Andre offered, begged to head out with Bagration, but Kutuzov would not allow it. Kutuzov noted the need of having good officers with him. He lectured, there is still much before us, and revealed that in his estimation, if just one-tenth of Bagration's forces return, Kutuzov shall thank God. Kutuzov then turned the conversation to lighter fare, such as what Andre did on his trip, and he also asked about certain ladies they both knew. In the carriage, Andre was very close to the general who was now in his late fifties, and he noticed the deep scar on his temple where a bullet pierced his skull, and the text notes that there was an empty eye socket. 
Andrei felt that Kutuzov had the right to speak as he did, so calmly and lucidly, about the death being faced by so many who he's sending out. And this is as good a point as any to explore historically that wound Kutuzov had. In 1774, Kutuzov was involved in a conflict with the Ottomans in Crimea. At that point, the Crimean Khanate, a vassal of the Ottomans, was losing influence in the area. Many of the Tatari had left for Istanbul for safety, but the Ottomans sent forces to put up a struggle for that strategic area. The grenadiers that Kutuzov was a part of landed at Alushta, which is in southern Crimea. Their job was to assault a position that was heavily fortified. And historically, this municipality of Alushta was once a Genoese colony that highlights how often this peninsula has changed hands and control over the centuries. In an episode that seems out of a movie, Kutuzov climbed onto a large rock in an attempt to rally or wave on his men. In this vulnerable position, he did take a musket ball to the head. It pierced somewhere between his left eye and temple, went through his skull, not hitting his brain, and came out the other side. This caused him to fall on top of the bodies, dead and wounded, that were already beneath him. 99% of the time, this would have been a kill shot, either on impact or in the minutes, days, or weeks to follow. But he was carried off the field, unconscious, and miraculously recovered. Usually you'd be dead of either bleeding from the wound, swelling from the trauma on the skull, or infection. Though Tolstoy presents him as having lost the eye and there being an empty socket, there are historical sources that say he'd never lost the eye. Alexander Mikabritze, an LSU history professor of Georgian origin, wrote a book in 2022, Kutuzov, which reveals a great deal about this incident and his recovery. Apparently, the eye was damaged, but not lost. And in the year and a half Kutuzov spent convalescing, in the latter period of that time, he was able to travel throughout Europe, including throughout Prussia and Austria, where he made connections that would serve him well over the next 30 years. This included establishing relationships with Prussian King Frederick the Great, as well as various Austrian generals. His miraculous recovery made him popular, something of a celebrity. The Empress, Katerina herself, wished him well in correspondence and gave him a thousand rubles for his recovery. He was also awarded the St. George Cross, which is given for gallantry in action. His cognitive abilities were apparently unaffected, but naturally, for the remainder of his life, he experienced... Painful symptoms such as headaches, dizziness, lethargy, and light sensitivity. And about 15 years later, while also fighting the Ottomans, he appears to once again have been shot in the head with a musket ball. He was observing positions with an Austrian general in Ochikiv, which is now on the southern coast of Ukraine, and he was hit in the front of the face. A bullet or fragment hit him near the left cheek, creating an injury from that area all the way to the back side of his neck. Part of his jaw was shattered, and this time he recovered quicker. Within six months, he was back in active duty. This is another interesting parallel to Napoleon. For either one of them, Napoleon at Toulon and Kutuzov in Crimea, 
could have very easily perished or lost a leg, completely changing how we view that era. Both, in their own way, appear to be touched by God.